Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. We're going to do a completely different podcast. After 600 episodes, we are taking on a a new subject here um, that I felt impressed to reach out to my friends at HXP um, to talk about the tours that they're doing for Latter-day Saint youth around the world. And so this will be a podcast where you learn about an organization, a nonprofit organization that takes LDS kids in their late teens around the world. And I have three people here that represent that organization. Amy Antonelli, who is the CEO. Welcome to the podcast, Amy. Thank you so much. And Kelsey Christensen is the Chief Innovations Officer. Thank you. And Hannes Durant, who is our family friend, who is a trip leader. And you have a new assignment there. And a program designer as well. And a program designer. Um, you may be aware, and I want to kind of have this be a question and answer. You may be aware of HEFY, and that's an organization that's existed for about 25 years, but in the last couple of years, it rebranded itself as HXP, and Amy can probably talk about that. They have about 60 employees. In 2023, they'll do about 288 trips, and that involves 6,000 participants that or builders go worldwide. Um, we've had a couple of our kids go on what was HGFY at the time and just had tremendous experiences. And uh, we love this organization from our family perspective and the things that it's taught our kids. And I just wanted you, our listeners, to be aware of HXP. And I thought the best way to do that would to bring the leaders, some of the leaders. So Amy Ant- Antonelli um, received a master's degree from Harvard University. Um, She's worked with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to develop a global self-reliance mentoring strategy. Um, She's the executive director of Rising Star Outreach, where she spent seven years of her life um, working with the people of leprosy in rural India. She served a mission in Italy and Malta. Um, She is um, single. She's in her 40s. She may talk a little bit about being a single Latter-day Saint. She speaks at firesides about being single and um, her journey as a single Latter-day Saint and feeling complete and whole and adding value to the world as an unmarried Latter-day Saint. I'm Kelsey Christensen, so you'll hear two female voices on this podcast. Kelsey Christensen is the Chief Innovations Officer. She's been with, HE, with HXP for 10 years. She's married, has two kids, two little kids ages three and one. She's a BYU marketing grad. Um, she's worked for the World Cup in Brazil. She served a mission to San Paulo, Brazil. And um, she oversees the flights, marketings, and the innovation teams. Think about taking 288 trips worldwide and the logistics. Each of those trips has about 19 kids, two trip leaders, and two parent builders. We'll talk more about the need for parent builders in this podcast. But just think of the logistics of that. And then Hannes Durant um, is a family friend. And um, tell, I don't know how to, Hannes, <laughs> I know Hannes so well, I don't need any notes. Um, he's preparing for med school. He's a return missionary in Chicago. In this very room we're recording, um, my son Matt and I, about six or seven years ago, in Hannes's first discussion as, a, as not a Latter-day Saint, but interested, we felt first to invite him to be baptized. and. In that short experience, he received personal revelation to be baptized, and it's 
in the top two or three most powerful spiritual experiences of my life. And Honest ran with that, um, chose to be baptized, served a mission, completed school at BYU, and now is preparing for med school. Honest shared that conversion story on episode seven. That's over 600 episodes ago. <laughs> in fact, Apple will only keep the last 500 episodes. So in the show notes, we'll link to that. It'll, you'll get it on SoundCloud, or you can just Google Richard Osler, Honest Durant, episode seven. It'll, you'll find it on SoundCloud. Is that okay for an introduction? Yeah, that was beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> um, so we said a prayer before we started because we this is um, a spiritually, you know, I don't know the right vocabulary to use. This is a faith-based organization that's trying to build faith. And um, in LDS youth, 95% of the participants are LDS. We'll talk more about just who the audience is for this. But I think, Amy, maybe with that, I want to stop talking and get you talking as the CEO of HXP and just introduce it um, to our listeners. Sure. No, thank you so much, first of all, for having us. We've been longtime fans of your podcast and we've um, actually had quite a lot of our friends and partners and even um, employees be a part of this show. So thank you so much for giving everybody such a great voice. Um, yeah, no, so HGFY or now what we call HXP started uh, 25 years ago. It actually started as a result of just two parents who loved their son. Um, they were living on the East Coast and they looked around and they saw all these Christian mission organizations that were having tremendous success with their youth, bringing them to all of these um, developing countries and having them, giving them a perspective on what life could be like outside of their, their own world. And, and they wanted to do something like that for their own son who was struggling, but they really couldn't find anything that was specifically faith-based for our faith, which is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so the father, whose name was Glenn Bingham, um, chose to take his son to Brazil where Glenn had served his mission. And they spent a few weeks um, in Santarem just building a street, um, a, a house for street kids. And it had such a profound impact on their son, David, that when David got back, he decided to serve a mission. And his change was so night and day different that the Bingham's friends obviously noticed and wanted similar experiences for their kids. And then their friends noticed. And really, HXP was never meant to be this huge global nonprofit that it is right now. It was just kind of something that organically grew from one parent to another to another as they saw the impact that it made. And, and I think um, we've learned a lot over the years about who we are and what, what we're really trying to do. And I think that at this point, we can say pretty unapologetically that our mission is entirely about helping these kids understand who they are and who they were created to become in the light of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. We're a nonprofit organization, so we're a completely independent 501c3, but we are really careful to always align ourselves exactly with the vision and values of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, and I think that we've kind of discovered a little bit of a secret sauce because we realized early on that if we were really going to change the lives of these kids, that the humanitarian projects we did had to be real, long-lasting, sustainable projects. 
they couldn't just be, you know, painting a wall or going and like picking up trash or something like that. It really had to be projects that were going to require these kids to give it all they've got and, and, and know that they were going to make an impact on somebody else's life in doing that. And so we're really proud of the humanitarian work that we do. And, and we do a lot to make sure that we're responsible in that humanitarian work. But at the end of the day, the humanitarian work is a vehicle for what we're really trying to accomplish, which is to change the lives of the kids that go on our trips. And, and I'd say that we have a tagline now that is pretty audacious, but it's been borne out in life after life after life and thousands and thousands of kids. And that tagline is, is true, that there will be miracles. Well, now I want to have kids again that are this age to send them back. They're all too old. They can be trip leaders and um, parent builders eventually. Thank you, Amy. Do you, Kelsey, would you like to share more uh, from your perspective? Yeah, I would just agree to everything she said. I think um, it's interesting because the the mission or the organization was started because of that parent. And that first trip was to Brazil. And for me, my first trip was also to Brazil. Um, having served my mission there, I was a trip leader there. And what was neat about that was I had teenagers on my trips who were very similar to that boy, right? Their parents sent them um, probably out of love for the same reason. And I remember having a girl on that trip. She never thought about serving a mission in her life, ended up deciding to serve a mission on that trip to Brazil, went back, um, and got called to serve a mission in Brazil. And there's like countless stories like that. And for some builders, they do end up serving missions. And for others, they don't. And that's totally okay. One of my other like favorite stories um, was just, I had one teenager on one of my trips who she never went to church and she actually was having withdrawals on her trip because there's things that she did at home that she couldn't do on her trip. And so she was really struggling on the trip. And I was a little worried about her because, you know, like physically with her withdrawals that she was having. And um, she'd never really gone to church at home. And it wasn't until the last day in testimony meeting, um, it would be do a more casual version of testimony meeting. And she wanted to share something and she was physically shaking. Um, and cause she wanted to share something, but she was so nervous cause she had never shared a testimony before. And she, I don't know, she's kind of emotional about it. And the one thing that she said was, this was the first time that I felt loved by church members. And like, it took her probably 10 minutes to say that. And that's all she said. And to me in that moment, like I knew that what we had done was successful and, you know, she didn't end up on a mission. She's not even in church. And to me, that doesn't matter. But what matters was that we showed her love and, um, we create positive peer groups. We really believe that the groups that, um, go out, including the trip leaders, that they're there to help these teenagers feel love. And if at some point in their life, they remember that one moment, you know, it might be one touch point for the gospel. Um, and if that's all that we did, we helped them feel love. And I believe that our trip leaders are following the spirit and that, um, that these parents, a lot of the prayers of the parents are being answered on these trips, whether it's from other builders, trip leaders, or people that they meet in country. I do believe that, um, we create a unique environment. They don't have their phones. I don't know if we've mentioned that it's a digital detox. So um, they're completely away from their normal community of friends and it allows them to be themselves and it allows them to um, really feel something that they don't normally feel. So, yeah. 
talk about um, just logistically, you've used the word builder to describe the students that come, I think. And so does anybody just want to talk about the vocabulary and how you develop the vocabulary? Because I think it's intentional and, and powerful. Sure, we can speak to that. We, we used to call them participants, and it, it just felt like kind of a cold word, you know? And, and so we started thinking about what can we call them instead? And we, I, I came up in Silicon Valley, and so my whole background is a Googler or a Facebooker or whatever. And so we tried to think of a cool word that we could use, but really a heffier or a, a hexer didn't really work. And so um, there's a, a poem about a builder. Um, and, and, and that was a poem that was really special to our founder, Glenn Bingham. But essentially, um, what we realized is that every single one of the kids that come on our trip are, are really coming to know Christ by just doing what he did. And so, yes, they're building a school or a hospital or whatever, but they're also building each other and they're also building themselves. And most importantly, they're building their relationship with Christ. And so, yeah, it's very intentional, that word, but it's also very powerful in what it actually translates to be. Talk about the age group for parents that are listening, wondering what's the age group for their kiddos. Sure, I can talk about that one. So we we have trips to um, to other countries that are age 16 to 19, and then we have mainland trips to five states here. We we noticed during during the COVID time that here in our own country we have so many people that need help as well, and so we opened up um, five five domestic trips for um, the mainland for ages 14 and 15. And 16. And 16 as well. Yeah. So if you're 16, you can choose to go mainland or international. And there's, if I understand it right, there's 19 participants on each trip. Talk about the trip leaders and the parents, the other components of a trip. Yeah, great. And actually to clarify, so we have international and domestic trips. So our domestic trips, our groups are a little bit smaller. And so we only have groups of 14 um, going out. And so if you're on a domestic trip, um, yeah, there's six, well, there's 16 total with the parent builders. So um, but the logistics of the parent builders and trip leaders. So trip leaders, it's a pretty competitive process to become a trip leader. We had 1,500 people apply to be a trip leader this year, and we choose less than 10% of them. And so these trip leaders, I mean, they are the best of the best at um, sharing that love that the Savior has for these kids, as well as the logistics. You know, they know how to manage international environments, but they also know how to organically kind of... Um, help these teenagers feel love of feel love and help them really identify who they are in the light of the restored gospel. A lot of these teenagers come not knowing who they are and um, the trip leaders are great facilitators at that. And so they're trained fully to manage the logistics and the group dynamics and all of that. And then our parent builders are parents of builders. And so they come as extra support. Um, and so they're they're there to love the teenagers or the builders just as much as our trip leaders, but they're not the ones that have to worry about all the logistics. They've not been to a two or three day training and learned all of those things. They're there to have an experience and to share that experience with their child as well as um, develop a relationship with the, the group and be a support when wherever they can be. Kelsey, that's really helpful. Are the parent, can the parents be married? Mom and dad come together. So typically we avoid like a married couple just because we're really trying to help these builders have their own unique experience. 
And so we feel that when they, if the parents are the parents of the youth, it creates more of a family dynamic. And we're trying to have, help that builder have um, a new experience. And so um, we, we find that it's a great bonding experience for them with one of their parents. But if you have two parents or even siblings, we, we actually discourage siblings and friends because we find that our builders have the most life-changing experiences when they come on their own. So, um, yeah. Yeah, we make it actually really hard for kids to come with um, siblings or friends. And usually the first time people send their kids on their trip, they always call us and think, well, my kid's different. I really want them to go with a friend or with with a sibling. And and, and we usually will say, listen, just, just give it a try. Send them on their own just and just see how it goes. And what is really cool about it, especially with kids who are still trying to figure out who they are or or perhaps have been labeled as a certain type of kid, sometimes they can go on these trips and for the first time in their lives, they get to explore what it would be like to be somebody else. You know, maybe I'm not the problem kid. I put that in quotes or whatever. <laughs> maybe I, I can be the good kid on this trip and, and see what that's like. And And really, I think once they experience what it feels like to be looked at in a different way, they chase that feeling after they come home. And that that can often be a really life-changing experience for them as well. So we often encourage them to come separately. Um, and even if they're not trying to find a, a different identity, if they're really happy with who they are, if they come on their own, they can often be that miracle to another kid on the trip who who is looking for that. So it's really special. These Kelsey mentioned the positive peer groups that come out of these trips. We always laugh because we don't vet these kids at all. So on every single one of our trips, we have 19 kids and you'll always have that one girl who's never said the word hell in her whole life. <laughs> and then you have a boy who got out of drug rehab like two days ago. And what's amazing to me, this is inevitable, that they are best friends by the end of the trip. Wow. And it's not, they're, they're two kids that would really in high school probably never have crossed paths, but they're, they're having this really shared, deep, hard experience together out there. And, and it's based in the love of Christ. It's based in this spiritually rich environment where they see each other for who they really are and they love each other. And for years after that, they stay friends. These kids end up going to college together. They show up at each other's mission farewells. They have Zoom they have Zoom conferences on Sunday nights where they do come follow me together. And it's just this really powerful, positive peer group that shows up where they, they all accept each other for who they are, regardless of where they are. Um, I think I mentioned a little bit of this, listeners, but I'm going to make sure we're recording this podcast in early 2023. Um, there's 6,000 spots for participants for the summer. I think these run in the summer of 2023, and they're pretty much full. Um, for 2024, the opening is in fall of 2023. And we'll put the, the website to HXP in the show notes, listeners. But as you're getting interested in this, it's mostly, if you want to act on it, it's mostly a summer of 2024 call to action. Now, if you're a, a parent builder, you still need 100 parent builders for this upcoming summer of 2023. You're good on trip leaders, it sounds like, because you got 1,000, 1,500. I think Kelsey shared with us in 10%. So um, how would a parent builder, do they, would you just send them to the website? Yeah. So there's actually a hack to the system. So this okay. is, <laughs> good. it's good if you're Inside listening scoop. to this, it's, you got the scoop. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. So no, most of the time, most of our trips do fill up um, during registration week. And that registration week is almost always two weeks before Thanksgiving. So you want to put it on your calendar for next year. That's about usually when it happens is in November, about two weeks before Thanksgiving. For this year, um, we're we're almost full, but we we do have kind of a couple of backdoor ways you can still get your kids on trips this year. Good. Um, first of all, there's still a few spots left on our domestic trips. So if you have a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old, or 16-year-old, just because those trips are a little bit newer and people don't know about them as much, there's still some openings on those trips. And those trips, honestly, are amazing. I was so surprised when we tried it out. Kelsey convinced me a few years ago to try it out. And I was really honestly kind of skeptical at first that kids would have the same kind of experience that they have on these international trips. But honestly, I mean, you go into places that we work, like for example, we work in this one little town in rural West Virginia. They call it a, a holler. Uh, you know, it's a hollow, but they they call it a holler. And and we went into this town and and I sat down with the guy that runs that project and he was like, I was so amazed by what happened this summer with your kids. He said, when you guys first started coming, the people that live up in this holler were just staring at them because they couldn't quite figure out what they were doing there. And he said, you have to understand who these people are. He said, they spent the first half of their lives working in the mines down in West Virginia. And he said, and when the coal dried up, they then all signed up to go overseas and, and be soldiers in the in the military. And he said, they genuinely believe that they have been forgotten by the country that they built. And um, he said, they, they sit in these sort of broken down houses and they just wonder like, what, what happened to this America that they worked so hard to build? And he said, this incredible thing happened this summer where these 14 or 15, 16 year old kids just started trooping through the holler. And he said, the first group came and and helped to to build some wheelchair ramps and helped to fix up their houses. And they thought that was nice. Then the next group came. Then the next group came. And he said, just last week, one of them came up to me and said, you know what this ha- this was for me? He said, it was great that they fixed up my house. And I feel like so grateful for them for that. But what they really told us was that we haven't been forgotten, is that people still know that we exist and that, and that we're worth coming and helping. So these 14, 15, and 16-year-old kids had the same unbelievable experience that we're seeing over na- overseas. Um, and it was really special. So if you have a 14, 15, or 16-year-old and you're looking for something really special to happen in their lives, that's something that you might consider. If you have a 16, 17, and 18, or 19-year-old and you want to still get them on this trip, consider coming as a mom or as a dad. I know that sometimes that as a, as I'm in my 40s, I'm exactly your age if you're a parent. And I know that sometimes it can feel like, why would I do that? I'm already in young women. I don't need another two-week babysitting experience. I promise you that's not what this is. This, um, for parent builders, is often equally as life-changing for you as a 40, 50, 60-year-old as it is for a 16-year-old. Um, it not only creates an experience where you will bond with your child in a way that you never have before. And it's an individual bonding. So the rest of their siblings aren't around and it's a memory you two will share for the rest of your lives. But it also gives you a moment to step away from the day-to-day of your own life, your job or your, your family, or, and give you just a second to, to look in introspectively at where you are in your life and kind of consider whether you're doing what you wanted. I, 
I was in a restaurant um, last year and a, a, a guy came up to me. He was actually a CEO in the Valley. He's a pretty well-known guy. And I was a little intimidated when he came up to me, but he said, hey, you're the CEO of, of HXB, right? I'm like, yeah. He said, I have to tell you this story. He said, um, I decided to go on a trip as a parent builder just so my kid could go so I could get him into the trip. But I have to tell you, right before I left, I was released as bishop. And he said, the truth is, I never expected this to be something that I would find personally rewarding for myself. But he said, those two weeks after I was released just gave me the headspace to be able to really think about what I needed to do next with my life and how I was going to take what I had just learned as bishop and, and take that into the next phase of my life. And he said, so thank you, because I never expected to be such a personal benefit for me. So if you're a parent builder and you're thinking about coming, please come. There's something I think you personally can contribute to these lives. And also, you'll be amazed at what it does for your, your own life as well. How would a parent builder contact you? Let me just give you Hannes's cell phone number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for for the for the parent builders, you can um, you can sign up on our website or you can give us a call. Um, there are when you go on the website, it'll show the trips that still need a parent builder. And then if a parent builder signs up, like Amy said, there's a little bit of a hack. They have to have a kid on the trip as well, so they will be able to book a kid on the trip as well. So even if that trip is full. That's how you can get your kid on as well. If you if you come as a parent builder, um, you can get your kid on whatever trips still have opening. Um, I don't have any questions right now. Are that just things that are you would like to share that are on your mind? Any of you? Um, yeah, I would say that that one of the things that we're we're thinking, the three of us are thinking about um, on our minds at the moment is is just how incredible it is that these trips kind of come together in ways that tell us constantly that we're not the ones running this thing. <laughs> we all just got back from a scouting trip to India and Nepal. We're going to be running trips there. Hannes is actually designing um, the trips to both uh, Northern India and Nepal. We were just up in the Himalayas in India. and Wow. Yeah. And, and we had some really incredible experiences. Um, one of the neatest things that happened when we were in Nepal, especially, was maybe you want to tell that story of just kind of what happened with um, a project that we found that we didn't even anticipate finding. Oh. Yeah, sure. So one thing that we, we do a ton of research on our projects beforehand and on the needs of the countries that we're going to. We don't want to go to a country and just, you know, give them a building that's going to stand empty because it's not going to get used. We really do a ton of research to see what this community needs beforehand. Um, and so we, we had a few people that we had lined up in Nepal to speak to about, you know, building classrooms or building health clinics or, um, you know, women's centers or something like that. Um, and we had a really, really jam-packed schedule in Nepal. And so we had to be a little bit fast when it, when it came to each of our projects. And then we met this man named Krishna who has a organization there called, it was KMREF named after his son who had passed away. Um, and we got there and he, it, it was like he read our entire company's bio before we kind of spoke to him. And he, he has a place for our kids to stay. He has a restaurant across the street where our kids can eat. And he has a project about, you could throw a football to where it is. Um, and the project is incredible. There's a, there's a small city in Nepal called Daksankali. And in Daksankali, they don't have you know a clinic or a hospital. Right now, they're running a clinic on Tuesdays and Thursdays 
out of a community center. And we walked into it and it's almost like you're just running it out of a storage unit. Like it was tiny and dark and no lights. Um, and he said his goal is to build a clinic so that the people of Ducks and Cully will be able to have a free place to come and get healthcare. And he showed us and he's like, this is where it's going to be. This is this, this is this. We just need, we need funding to be able to give these people, um, you know, the healthcare that they deserve as a basic human right. And so he just showed us around and the entire time we were just thinking, man, this is so cool. And then, and then Amy mentions the fact that she, she's involved in Rising Star who, who works with lepers, uh, lepers in, in India. Southern India. And he just goes, oh no, no way. My dad is affected by leprosy. And Amy just had this, maybe this is your story to tell Amy the, <laughs> the part about meeting his father, but. Well, no, I mean, it was so special because really when Hannes and Kelsey were looking for these projects, Kelsey, really, this was, I think Kelsey mentioned it was like four, page 14 or something of all her, of her Google search. I mean, it had been a project that was really difficult to find. And honestly, it was probably pretty low on our list of potential projects that we were going to do. We go to, like Hannah said, we go and we scout out uh, quite a lot of projects and then we figure out the one that makes the most sense in terms of sustainability and also impact that our kids can make. So we go to this place and and it's nice. It's a clinic and we, we look at clinics and we do lots of these clinics, but we're still sort of waiting for that sign. And, um, and this guy is kind of going through his bio and he's telling us all the things that he, he's done. And he, he mentions that he studied leprous, you know, and, and we kind of said, wait, what? And he, cause you have to understand in India and in Nepal to even admit that you have anything to do with leprosy really brings upon you a stigma. And so it's something that you don't often hear people even acknowledge that they are willing to be a part of. But this guy mentioned that he studied leprosy and I said, leprosy and he, he said yeah and i said tell me more about that and as soon as he realized that we were we we were not going to back away from him <laughs> when he talked about leprosy he said i actually i actually come from a leprosy colony and wow. and so then all of a sudden kelsey and i and hannes were like tell us everything about this project <laughs> and little by little he starts to explain like his whole background is growing up in a leprosy colony and it turns out that his father is still alive. He's 90 years old. And they'd built him this little house behind the school. And he takes me around to the house. And here's this sweet man with, you know, just sort of claws left for hands. And, and he's very visibly affected by leprosy. And then it turns out that there's this leprosy colony where he grew up is 15 minutes away. And a lot of the community that comes to this clinic that we're going to be building comes from this leprosy colony. And so then he takes us out to the leprosy colony and introduces us to all of these people that are affected by leprosy still. And our kids are now going to have this opportunity to work with leprosy affected people in Nepal in a way that is going to, I already know this because of my work with Rising Star Outreach. There's not that many things that affect you the way that working with people with leprosy do. Leprosy pretty much takes everything away from you that it can. And when Christ talks about healing the lepers, He's talking about so much more than just a physical experience. And so for us, it just felt very guided and directed. And that's a lot of what we find when we go scout these trips is that we didn't even know that this was a part of this experience, but this is going to be something that I think profoundly affects the lives of the the hundreds of kids that go this summer. And I think that, um, you know, that that wasn't us. That was God bringing people together who need to be changed by one another. 
So Honest is going to have a good time running that trip this summer. <laughs> yeah. I love one of the ways you describe these humanitarian projects. You use sustainability and impact. And um, some of the criticisms I've heard about this general space is it really does it really helps the participants, but it doesn't really help or even maybe it's a setback to the local people. And you've been in this space so long. Um, and I would just love the way you found this new um, place in Nepal through the context of impact and sustainability. And probably a lot of prayer before you went and got on that plane that you'd be led. And you did your due diligence, but it wasn't the top of the list. And I just, as we, as you know better than I do, that God was in the, the process. And then I think about the kids. They're going to come to Nepal and understand people are hard to hate, close up, move in. For Bene Brown teaches me, and I just love the experiences that that th these teenagers will feel as they come to your, and I think um, Kelsey and Hannes have both been EFY. I think you said, Kelsey, you've been an EFY um, builder as a youth and right. then a trip leader. And now in your role as chief innovations officer, Hannes, did you go as a youth? I didn't go as a youth. I actually had, I had no idea um, what HEFY, then HEFY was, but I had a roommate who was a, who was a, a trip leader. Um, Mayo Cannon, if you're listening, shout out to you, Mayo. Um, but Mayo, Mayo lived with me for, we lived together for maybe like a semester or two. And one day it was towards the very, very end of trip leader applications. But he looked at me and he was like, you'd be a really good trip leader. You should, you should apply. And I was like, what, what the heck is this? I don't know what this is. And he said, well, it's, you know, everything we've just explained. And I said, wow, that actually sounds like something I really would love to be a part of. So I did an application right then and then had an interview. And I feel like it was just guided and I was, you know, um, selected as a trip leader. I've been to Belize, been to Fiji. My, my, my kids from Fiji are texting me right now. My phone's like exploding. They're all chatting about a memory from Fiji. But it's just as, 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 as the same way that it's been life-changing for the kids, it's been life-changing for me as well. It really has taught me what is important in life. Um, and what is important in life is, is helping others, be that the people that we're building the school for in Belize or the, you know, the, 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 the bathrooms for in Fiji or be it the kids themselves or the kids helping me and just this experience helping me to become a better person. And, um, you know, every year when I go on these trips, I just have like this kind of like a mental reset. It's like, this is what's really, really, really important in life is people and loving them and taking care of them and being kind. Yeah. Kelsey. Yeah. I was just thinking, um, I'm not a trip leader anymore now that I have two kids, but I've had so many experiences where I'm so uplifted just by being able to see people connect, like kind of going back to that Nepal experience. Like I believe so strongly, I've been in programs for so long working in this organization, planning so many of the trips. And I have like the strongest testimony that God is involved and in, that he's the one orchestrating kind of like Amy said, but just like the people that we meet have like such a huge impact on our kids and vice versa. And there's just a couple like experiences that I think of one of them. I'm going to, I'm going to reference Cornelius. Um, he's on, he's our court, our local coordinator um, in Ghana. So if anyone, I think there's actually a few spots left in Ghana, if anyone's interested, but um, everyone that listens to this, if anyone, everybody knows Cornelius, he goes by black Shrek and he <laughs> is like the man. And of all people, 
he was like one of our local coordinators that we met. Um, we actually had already picked out a different project, but we had this really strong impression to go back to this area called Cocorbite. It was like two hours away from Accra when we were scouting. It was so far away, but we just like felt strongly like there's this one more project we need to visit. And um, we had already picked out a project and we felt really strongly. We just need to like visit this one last person. It was our last day and we met this person named Cornelius. And he was actually very proper and formal that day. And I had no idea who who this guy was. And um, what was crazy is we ended up deciding we were going to kind of do two projects that summer, which we never do. Um, but since then, he has been involved in every single builder. Like everyone that comes on that trip, he knows their name before they get there. He stays in touch. He could tell you what any of the hundreds of teenagers that he's doing are doing in their lives and they and like and vice versa. Like they stay in touch with each other. And we're gonna share a little personal experience. I, I think he'd be okay with this. Um, but like the year before we found him, his um he had gotten baptized and his with him and his wife, and his wife passed away shortly after their baptism, and they were so excited to get sealed in the temple. And um I remember him. This was, I didn't know this at the time. And a year later, he, we were working with him and he had shared this experience with our groups. And he, you know, he, he shared how this was like the first time that he had felt like happiness since, you know, the passing of his wife. And um, it gave him so much purpose and it gave our, our kids so much purpose too. And they were able to go through the temple and they were able to be there when he was able to get sealed to his wife. And he's still involved in this organization. But what was so neat about it is it impacted both. Like, I really believe that like God is involved and he's handpicking these people who need to affect each other. Our local coordinator last year in Malta was a brand new recent convert. And, um, in Malta, he was probably like the only member, like the only real active member in the entire branch. And he was the only local Maltese member in that branch. And here he is. And he's feeling like, who am I? I got baptized and I'm the only one. And, um, all of a sudden we're sending 25 kids or, or, you know, every two weeks. And he has like a hundred new best friends who, who he can talk to, even though he's in Malta and they're in the United States and they can build each other up. And, um, and I just, I just felt that so strongly, um, wherever I go that these people, that they're really involved and that God, God put them there. And kind of like what you're saying with the sustainability stuff, like we only work with organizations who, um, everything's run by the locals. So we're not just coming in and like building an American school. Like we're working with the government, we're working with the locals, we're hiring the locals. And so every experience that our kids are having is with local people. And so we're never like taking their jobs away. We're hiring them. Um, we're hiring a food provider and it's those people. It's our bus driver. I love it. It's literally sometimes our bus driver in Florida who changed our kids' lives. And, or it's, you know, the person who was at the front desk of you know, the, the guest house that we were staying in or whatever. And, and somehow it's that person that shared one story that for some reason touched this one builder. And it's, it's the people that we never know that are going to have the most impact on our kids and that our kids will go on a chip and have an impact on one random member that's struggling in the branch or one person who stopped coming to church, but because they saw a whole bunch of teenagers at church, they decided to show up that day. And now that person's on a mission. There's hundreds of stories like this. And I just, that's like my, the thing that I've learned most from working here is how like how real God is and he is in every little detail and he has a plan for every person and we all get to kind of bless each other. So it's a, it's a really beautiful orchestra that God is conducting. So I love that, Kelsey. Yeah, it's really moving. I'd love for Amy, being a single Latter-day Saint in your 40s, to share you speak in firesides and 
Um, I just love you to talk to single Latter-day Saints since you know this road well and what you typically tell them at a fireside or somebody that opens up to you and says, my life is turning out different. I kind of thought I'd be married at 23 and kids at 26. And now I'm realizing that may not happen for me. And I'm in a culture and a world that sort of values that. And I created my worth a little bit around becoming a mom. And that's a little out of my control. I can't control that. You know this space really well, I sense, personally. And talk to just however you want to address that. If you want to talk to single people to share a little bit of your own story, just think you could help listeners. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, I actually could just build off of what Kelsey just said right there, because I think as we go around the world, we we find um, members of the, tr- of the church who are in every single phase of life who are Cornelius' story, who just lost his spouse. We do, we find people who are single, who haven't married yet, but who join the church and deeply want to have a family. We, have, we find people who are living in families. We find gay members of the church who are trying to find ways to be active and be contributors to the church and in, in, in what they're doing. So every single person that we meet, you know, we find people living in leprosy colonies and who are trying to find their own um, purpose and and how they can contribute to the church within within the the boundaries of their own stories. Um, and I think what that has taught me, honestly, most of all, is that there's really no such thing as supposed to be. And I think that's actually one of Satan's biggest tools right now is that he gets into our heads. And he's like, this isn't how it's supposed to be. I wasn't supposed to get cancer or I wasn't supposed to, you know, find out that I lost my job or I wasn't supposed to be 48 and single. And, um, and, and you sort of get into this twisted up place of there's been some cosmic mistake in the universe that everything's gone wrong. And I think I definitely spent my, sh- my share of time in that space, especially in my early thirties where, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd gone on a mission. I'd done my best to be righteous. I tried really hard to live um, the gospel in all the right ways. And so I felt like I was supposed to get married. And, and where was my reward? And, um, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't happening. And year after year after year was going by. And I wasn't experiencing that joy of being a mother, which even now I recognize as like the ultimate joy that I'm going to experience in my life. And I was, I'm so excited for that day. But at some point during that process of like trying to understand all of this, I feel like I got a very clear communication from the Lord that we each have our own, what Elder Maxwell called our own customized curriculum. When I was 21 years old and I went through the temple for the first time, um, getting ready to go on my mission, I had a really unusual experience. I was getting ready to walk into the um, the endowment room and I walked by a mirror and I actually looked in the mirror and I saw a woman who wasn't me. And um, and this this woman was, honestly, she was so beautiful. She was just mesmerizing. She, she was she was the kind of person that you just can't stop staring at because she was so full of light and wisdom and strength and depth and love and I mean she's magnificent. I just remember staring at her and staring at her because I'd never seen anything so beautiful. And finally I realized like as I was looking at this woman I finally realized that this woman I was looking at was me. Wow. She just wasn't 
the woman I was in that moment or the woman I am today. She was the woman that I was created to be. She is the woman that I will be in like 10,000 years. And, and she is the outcome of all of the experiences and all of the joy and all of the tragedies and all of the miracles. All of it combined is my customized curriculum that I am currently going through to make me her. And so when I look at my life at 48 and realize that I don't have, you know, a minivan with cr- crushed up Cheerios in the back and five children in car seats, which is what I thought. Instead, I spend my days traveling around the world, finding people everywhere who, I don't know, who, who I've, I'm trying to find ways to, to help feel God's love. I deeply believe that this is what I was supposed to do. In fact, what I've realized lately is that if I, if I loved my Savior even a fraction as much as I love Him now, I honestly believe that I would have asked Him if I could wait so that I could try and, and, and gather up as many of these youth as I can and help bring them back to Him. And maybe I, I could wait to have a family of my own a little bit later. I, I, I really believe that that's something that I, I might have asked Him for because what we see with these kids summer after summer with HXP is that they're coming back to him. And I, I just feel like the luckiest girl in the world that I have this opportunity to be a tiny little part of making that happen. And as a bonus, I get my own family too at some point. <laughs> I mean, that's the amazing thing about the restored gospel is that it's not a trade-off. And I, I feel like the way that Satan gets in the head of so many single Latter-day Saints, both men and women, frankly, is that I've, I've lost something. I've missed something because I, I don't have a family of my own. And I think it's a lie. We believe in a gospel of eternal promises. And so if you don't have yet the family that you've been promised, he is not sitting here. You, he has not sent you here to sit on the bench and wait for that. If, if you haven't if you don't have that yet, get off the bench. <laughs> go out and go do something. Go find the reason why you're here now because he hasn't sent you here for no reason. He sent you here to do and to become and to grow and to show love. And so if you're feeling depressed, push that feeling out because he, want, he has something for you to do. He has a purpose for you right now. Um, and, and, and I think the harder you work to find that purpose, the happier you're going to become. Don't forget that that promise is so incredibly real. I just can't wait to meet my eternal partner someday. He, he's going to get in trouble because he's taken a long time to show up. <laughs> but in the meantime, I'm having a great time. <laughs> that was a beautiful segment. <laughs> I wish everybody could see Amy's face as she spoke. There's so much light and goodness and hope and compassion and grace in that message. Lovely. And I just think, I love this idea of customized, what's the right word, Elder Maxwell? Customized? Customized curriculum. Curriculum. I want to get that word right. And that is our doctrine. And I think our, I think we need to own that within ourselves and be at peace that we may not fit our original expectations or cultural expectations or family expectations. And I think, and to own that very intentionally the way Amy's done helps all of us and, to, and also for a culture to support that. You may have some difficult, there may have been some difficult experience with our culture about why are you at Harvard getting a master's degree? You should be doing something to get married like that prevented you from getting married. And 
I don't know if those comments came your way, but they might have. And so I don't want to get negative in some of the maybe difficult experience, but I think our culture needs to re- support customized forgotten curriculum and honor personal revelation that people are receiving. For all of us. And, you know, we don't understand each other's stories. I love this podcast because I think you do such a good job of humanizing all of our stories. And I, I, one thing I think we, we've learned traveling around the world is that there's the one thing that the Savior was very clear about is that we are not supposed to be judging each other. And, and, and I think he probably asks us that because he understands each one of our individual stories so much better than any of us could understand each other. And, and so he says, just leave that judgment to me. Your job is just to love each other. And, and, and I think that it's a pretty basic concept. It, it was our theme last year. It's something that we've really incorporated into HXP is just two simple things, love God and, and love people. And, and I think once you kind of push judgment out of the way and just open yourself up to getting to know someone's story, it's pretty impossible not to love them. Honest, I didn't, I kind of talked about you, but I'd love you, people may, that don't know you, and that's probably most people, unless they've listened to episode seven or know you. Which was like seven years ago, (laughs) but whatever. Um, They're probably picking up your accent, doesn't sound like a Wasatch Front accent, so (laughs) introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners and just share a little bit about your journey into the church and um, whatever you want to share with that. Yeah, no problem. I'll give you guys a very condensed version, I guess. Um, the one important thing about this story is just like Amy spoke, everyone has their own customized curriculum. And I firmly believe that the Lord, the same way that he looked out for me, he's looking out for every single person on this earth. It's just our job to kind of look back and connect the dots to see every single time, you know, his hand was, was in our lives. And it's a lot more often than we think. Um, so I, I was born and raised in South Africa. Um, and then my family and I moved here when I was 14. Um, now, why did we choose Utah of all places? My mom was an outstanding athlete. She ran the 100 meters in like under 11 seconds. So I had a really hard time running away from her when I was in trouble when I was a kid. <laughs> um, but so she was really, really fast and she had a track scholarship to run at BYU. And so she, she obviously at BYU, you're going to learn a lot about the church, but she wasn't a member when she was at the church, uh, sorry, at BYU. And she learned a lot. She met Elder Holland, um, and she she was very impacted by by her her meeting with Elder Holland. Um, and then when one day when I was maybe about twelve, thirteen, um, a couple of sister missionaries rang our doorbell, and my mom let them in. And I'm I remember vividly I was sitting in the in the like the family room playing The Godfather Two on the PlayStation, and I looked over to my left and I saw these two weird girls walk in wearing dresses and they had these name tags on their chest. I was like, who the heck are these people my mom's letting into the house? Like, what is going on? And, you know, I had no idea what the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was at that point. But then, you know, my mom told him to, you know, she was like, you know, I love what you guys do, but um, I'm not interested in your church. I imagine how those missionaries felt. They're like, we found someone who went to BYU in South Africa who met Elder Holland read the Book of Mormon, went to church. I'm like thinking, holy cow, this, where'd the fonts this way, lady, you know? But she was like, you know, something you can do for me is get me some phone numbers of some friends in America because last night I had a dream that my family is living in America and you guys show up today. Like, that's no coincidence. Um, anyways, my mom got some, some information of some friends 
that she had gone to BYU with. And it was so annoying because I slept in the bedroom across from her and there's like a 12 hour difference or like an eight, nine hour difference. And I'm trying to sleep and I can hear my mom talking on the phone super loud with her American friends trying to make plans to move her family to America. And I'm like, mom, I'm trying to sleep, be quiet. But anyways, we eventually my mom um, came to my sister and I and was like, hey guys, by the way, we're moving to America in a few months. And we were like, what the heck? Okay, fine. Um, And man, my story's all over the place. So let me backtrack a little bit. My mom was actually born in America because my grandpa was doing a PhD at the University of Illinois. So when she was like 18 months old, they moved back after my grandpa had completed his degree. So it was very, very easy for my sister and I to get green cards to come to the States. People usually have to wait 10, 15 years for that. But because my mom just happened to be born in America, you know, for us, it was, it was pretty easy. Um, another pretty important part about this story that I I usually start with, but I don't know, I guess I got excited, was that my my father passed away from brain cancer when I was about 11 months old. And so I never knew the guy, but I'm pretty excited to to see him and joke around with him one day. Um, but I just remember growing up and just being... I remember when I was like six or seven, I realized, you know, I didn't have a dad. And I, I, I realized at a very specific moment, I was at a, a rugby game that I was playing and I looked over to my left and one of the kids on my team, his dad picked him up and gave him like a big hug. And I was like, I'm so proud of you for the rugby game you just played. And I was like, man, where the heck's my hug? Where's my dad? I remember going to my mom and being like, mom, why does my dad never come to my rugby games? And I just imagined her having to explain to a seven-year-old kid and how her heart was just wrenched like sorry man your dad died you know um i promise the story has a happy ending <laughs> um anyways i so so my family and i moved here to america and um <clears throat> i guess this is kind of when i met um papa osler so when i was when i was about 17 years old you know i was doing what 17 year old kids do messing around throwing fireworks at stuff you know but um papa osler's son matt um came into my life in a pretty funny way. He just showed up at my house one day with my sister. And I was like, who the heck is this guy? And he's like, oh, my name's Matt. You want to come hang out tonight? And I was like, what the heck? Okay, so I, you know, and that's kind of where my, um, my friendship with Matt started. And then I had this weird feeling that I had never felt before that Matt needed to play rugby with me on my rugby team. Um, eventually, after a lot of arm twisting, he, he came and he played rugby on my rugby team with me. Um, and then one day on the way to rugby practice, um, Matt had received his mission call to Sydney, Australia, a couple of maybe a couple of months prior to this this um, this moment. But we were driving, and a song came on the radio, and Matt switched the, switched it to a different station. And there was a non-member kid in the back. His name's Jalen. Jalen was like, "Matt, what the heck? That's such a good song. Why'd you change it?" And Matt just said, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm going on a mission. I got to prepare. I got to listen to you know wholesome music." And then Jalen goes, man, what the heck? Why, why, do, why do you guys even go on missions? You know, what's, what's the point? And then Matt, I was sitting shotgun next to Matt, and Matt just said something so simple along the lines of, this gospel has made me so happy. I want other people to experience that same happiness. So I'm going to go to Australia and, and share that happiness with them. And I was kind of sitting, I was sitting shotgun, and I was thinking, yeah, I mean, like hanging out with my friends and throwing fireworks and stuff is fun, you know, but is it bringing me true happiness? Am I really, you know, full of joy? And I kind of just looked over to Matt and I said, hey, Matt, I know you're going on a mission soon. If you want to practice being a missionary on me, you totally can. 
And as soon as I said those words, I was like, what is your problem? Why did you just say that out loud? <laughs> but I don't think it was me saying it. I really think God just like took over my vocal cords and said it for me. But anyways, Matt, Matt then, he was like, okay, yeah, whatever. And he never texted me or anything about a lesson or anything for a few months. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm out of, I'm out of the woods, you know, I'm good. And then one day he was like, hey, me and my dad want to want to talk to you about, about the church. And I was like, okay, rule number one though, no missionaries. I don't want any missionaries there because if you meet with the missionaries, you get baptized. And, uh, and I don't want that. And so Matt was like, okay, fine, we can, we can, we can make that happen. And so I met with, with, uh, with Papa Asla and Matt and we went and had lunch and Dick was just so kind. And he just asked me about myself and he just asked me, you know, my story. Um, and this was when, when would this have been like 2014, 2014 probably. Um, and he didn't mention anything about the church really until the very end. And he was like, well, Matt said you were interested in maybe learning a little bit more about the church. Is that true? And I was like, yeah, I guess I gave him permission to practice. Sure. Why not? And then he said, okay, well, why don't you come to my house on like Monday or something and, and we'll talk. Then I said, okay, but remember no missionaries. And he said, okay, fine. No missionaries. Um, and so I showed up on Monday, um, and, and then Papa Aslan and Matt shared with me a story about the, the, the restoration of, of the priesthood and why it's important to be baptized um, by you know, the proper authority. And I was sitting pretty close to where I'm sitting right now when, uh, when Papa Asla read a scripture to me in, in the book of Acts, where Peter and all the apostles are teaching um, you know, thousands and thousands of people. And, and then it, the scriptures say that those people were pricked in their hearts. And then one of the people in the crowd says to Peter and the apostles is, well, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, each of you, and receive the Holy Ghost. And then I remember Papa Oslo just like kind of looked up from reading that scripture and looked me in the eyes and said, you've been pricked in your heart. And I was like, the heck is this guy talking about? And he goes, we invite you to be baptized. And I was like, man, the nerve of these guys. But then he's, what, what comes next is, is what changed my life. And every, everything good in my life today is from this moment. And he, Dick looked at me and he said, when I was a missionary in England, I would give people a certain date to be baptized on, kind of like a goal, kind of like if you have an exam on this day, you're ready by that day. And he looked at me and he said, but Matt and I fasted and prayed for you. And I thought to myself, man, you tell me these guys prayed for me. They didn't eat food for me. And it, I felt kind of special, you know? And then he said, we, so we fasted and prayed for you. And we have this feeling that there's a date towards the end of June, beginning of July. That's very, very important to you. And then he said, and that's the day you're going to get baptized on. He didn't say that's the day I invite you to get baptized on. He said, that's the day you're going to get baptized on. And as soon as he said that, I knew the exact date he was talking about. He's talking about June 28th, which is the day my dad had passed away on. And it was a day that I dreaded every year. And every June 28th, I would just sit around sobbing, crying. Like, why would God take my dad from me? Um, and I was sitting there and just, I just started crying because I was like, how, how would he know that? How would Matt know that? How would Dick know that? And then they just let me cry for like five or 10 minutes. And I just sat there crying. And then eventually after like five or 10 minutes, it, Dick just goes, so what are you feeling? And as soon as he said that, I've felt the presence of an angel. I felt the presence of my dad standing right next to me the same way 
I know that there's these three people in the room with me right now. The, uh, that's the same way I knew that my dad was there with me. And so he said, so what are you feeling? And I was like, well, I, I feel my dad for the first time ever in my entire life. I feel him here with me. And then Dick goes, well, what's he saying? And so I just sat there and listened and I just heard do it. And I was like, Dick, he's telling me to do it. And I was like, okay, fine. I'm getting baptized on June 28th. And I just stood up and left. I don't think even we said a prayer. I think I just stood up and left and I got in my car and I drove home and I walked to my house and I walked and I, my mom was sitting on her bed and I was like, I was like, mom, what day did dad die on? I had to be like a hundred percent sure. I was like, she was like, June 28th. Why are the Mormons baptizing you on that day? It's like, mom, this isn't a joke. She's like, yeah, June 28th. And I was like, yeah, the Mormons are baptizing me on that day. And she was like, all right, cool. And so, you know, since, since that moment, I, I decided to go on a mission, you know, and um, went to BYU. I've had callings in the church and um, it's just been such a night and day difference. And then now with this, with this job that I have, right, I get to, I get to work with people and I get to help people be their best selves. And it's just, it's just such a blessing in my life that I was able to, you know, meet Matt and meet Papa Osla and meet Amy and meet Kelsey and meet all these people because I, I don't know where I'd be with, without the gospel in my life. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just super grateful for everything. Good communicator. It's, it's an honor listeners to hear that story again, even though I'm part of it. I'm through the Lord's help to hear Hannes talk about that story is really moving to me and and credit to Hannes for acting on the spiritual impressions he felt and um, the courage. You know, I remember when he was thinking about going on a mission, he said, okay, I'll get baptized by this mission thing. No way. <laughs> um, and he was pretty pragmatic about it. He says, all of my friends are going on missions, but they've had a hundred years of seminary and, you know, duty to God. And I've had, you know, I'm thinking about this eight months after baptism and the courage then to accept that call to go to Chicago where your grandfather um, yeah, where well, he actually went to school, so where my mom was born. So it was kind of funny when I got my mission call, and I'd been praying for Fiji. I was like, I actually had prayed and told God if he didn't send me to Fiji, I wouldn't go on a mission. That's um, right, I forgot. Um, yeah, I told to Yeah, and then I went to Fiji last year as a trip leader to uh, on <laughs> as an HXP trip. So in a way, he answered my prayer, you know, like a hundred years later. But whatever. But I just, I just remember being sitting there and I, and I got my call and I read Chicago, Illinois. And as soon as I read that Chicago, Illinois, all these thoughts just came to my head. And I was like, holy cow, that's where my grandpa went to school. That's where my mom was born. Because my mom was born here, we were able to get, um, you know, um, passports and green cards and things like that. And if it weren't for being here, I would, ne- I would never be a member of this church. And now the Lord is sending me back to where my my family's journey began in America. And all of that went through my head in like a split second. And as soon as I read Chicago, I was like, okay, fine, God, I guess I'll still go, even though it's not Fiji. So if there's anyone here listening, thinking that they want to go on a mission, I promise you, God knows exactly where you need to be. And then the chance to do temple work for your father um, and just kneel in proxy with your mom during your mission as they were sealed and to kneel there representing your father as they were sealed. I just, there's so many parts of this story and some of that's covered in episode seven, but you know, Amy shared a little bit of her story, Hannes, I think Kelsey Brosio's story, but it's back to what Elder Maxwell said. And it's back to 
write your own story, listeners. Take Hannes's story, take Amy's story, don't, and write your own story based on the personal revelation and the principles that they teach and the courage and the faith. Both of these are incredibly faith based, courageous, trailblazing stories. And I'm sure if I talked to your 20 year old selves or your 17 year old selves, you would never imagine this is where you'd be, any of the three of you. And I think that's good for all of the listeners. Uh, we're coming close to the end. Um, I wrote down queer kiddos. I don't, um, you, there may, just because of the nature of this podcast, there may be parents that have queer, I use that as an umbrella term, listeners to describe everybody that's not straight. I'm assuming HXP doesn't do anything overtly to, like you don't have the rainbow flag on your website saying we're a safe place. But I sense from what Hannes has told me that this is a safe place and it may never come up, but you're trying to create an environment for uh, LDS kids to feel safe. So I don't know if you want to talk about just the general principle of feeling safe or any experiences with queer kids that have felt sort of church is hard for me, um, the culture is hard for me, but they've really gotten a relationship with Christ developed through this experience that's helped them. Yeah, I think I think this process is is honestly um, one that each one of us in the church are going through, regardless of whether we ourselves are queer or whether we love people who are queer. I think this is such a new environment for all of us to kind of adjust to, and and I think every single person does it in their own way. And and I think especially if we've chosen to be disciples of Christ, I, I, my experience, especially over the last eight years has been that regardless of where people are in that journey, I, I think we're, we're trying to do better and help each other understand. And I think that I've had my share of learning experiences um, with trip leaders who are gay, with members of my staff who are gay, with, um, with builders who are gay. And, and, and I think each one of those experiences individually helps us understand a little bit more about the experience of, of the people that we love all around us. Last summer, we had a, a boy come on one of our trips and unfortunately, he, he felt a little bit bullied by some of the kids that were on his trip. And um, I think he was particularly devastated by that because it was a faith-based environment where he had hoped to not feel like that. But he was a really, really, really special kid. And he he was able to come home and he had written in his journal about some of his experiences. And so his mom and dad shared, with his permission, shared some of those experiences with us. Um, and, and he was trying his best to be compassionate in that circumstance in spite of the pain that he himself had felt. But I remember really vividly his dad saying to me, I just, I had hoped so much that this would be an opportunity for him to come um, and get to know Christ. And, and I remember we, as a leadership team, talked about that and prayed about it. And, and we had the impression to call him a few weeks later and ask him if he wanted to go back on another trip. And um, he, he, he spoke with his parents and they collectively prayed about it and felt good about it. And we happened to have one spot that had opened up on our Jerusalem trip. And so this sweet boy at the end of the summer um, ended up going back on another trip. And, and on that trip, he went to Jerusalem and was able to actually walk where the Savior had walked. And he had trip leaders that were especially prepared um, because of experiences that they had, they themselves had had 
to love this boy. And he had a group that just embraced him and loved him. And it was a night and day experience for him from his first trip. And so I think that story tells me that there's no perfect there's no, there's no place I can say your experience is going to be perfect and we're going to make sure that nothing bad happens to you. But I will say that we're doing our very best at HXP and I think in the church in general to try to create an environment where we are acting as disciples of Christ, regardless of our understanding or experience and, and that we all have a responsibility every day to try to do better and better at living the way that Christ asked us to live. So I hope if you have a gay child or a queer child, if, um, if you're considering sending them on our trips, I hope you do. And I can promise you that we'll do our very best to make sure that they feel loved and accepted in that environment. Can I, can I add one experience? Yes, please. This one isn't specifically, yeah, this one's not specifically about like queer, um, children, but it is about like builders who feel alone. And I was, um, Amy mentioned a little bit about Jerusalem and we talked a lot about our humanitarian projects where we go out and do construction but we also have two other programs that we didn't mention. One of them is Jerusalem, where it's more of an experience where they're going through what Christ, you know, where the places that he went and lo- and it's more of an academic program. And we also have a program called Refuge, where they're actually working in refugee camps. And um, that program, depending on the year, we've had different locations. We've had some open, we've had some closed, and it totally is dependent on the political situation. But when you asked that question, I thought of one girl from one of the trips um, that went on one of our refuge programs. And she, you know, she had some challenges herself. You know, she was bipolar and it was really emotionally kind of draining trip for her. And I was actually like, you know, just praying, like, I, I hope she's having this amazing experience. But like most of the kids, 90% of the time, are, you know, they're happy. But this girl was was, was one that I, I really wasn't sure. Like if she was having an, a good trip. And it wasn't until the last day when she shared an experience and she said, you know, like, she's like, I come from a broken family. I've, I've moved, you know, I've had my dad in jail. I've constantly gone from house to house to house. And she kind of like shared this background where she said my whole entire life, I felt like I couldn't relate to anyone and nobody understood me. And I co- totally felt like alone. And I think you know, a lot of, we've talked a lot about people feeling that way for different reasons in their life, but this girl, you know, I don't know her entire circumstance and she's pretty quiet about it until that, that last day. And she said, she's like, and then I met refugees and she's like, and she's like, I realize there's people out there who have lost family members and who have been forced to leave their home with no information and, and lost family members. And she you know, she shared this whole experience of how her life was like a refugee and her going on this trip. She's like, I finally found my people. And it was so cool that this girl, like she was able to connect to Christ with these refugees in a way that we could have never imagined. And so it's a different experience that we have out there. But I really, really, I think it kind of goes back to what I was sharing earlier. It's just, I really believe that the people that are on these trips, we saw that during COVID actually, like we saw that people would sign up for one trip and we actually had to plan twice as many trips during COVID because half of them got canceled and we had to reroute them. And the people that crazy ended up- Crazy job. <laughs> yeah, like that was crazy. But we we saw that year that the people that ended up on the trips were really on the trips that they were supposed to be on. And we have crazy stories of people that, you know, the people that they met in that group. And so, you know, sometimes they didn't get their first choice trip. and. Um, right now we have very limited spots open and 
Um, so if you're if you're out there and you're listening, you're like, you know, I really want to go on a trip, but 95% of, of them are full. Maybe consider the 5% that you would not maybe have originally chosen. And I think we might have a couple of um, openings on our refuge trips in Malawi um, where you work with refugees there. And um, yeah, it's amazing to see that the people that end up on those ships are supposed to be there for a reason. And um, whether it's a refuge program, there are Jerusalem program, domestic trips or international. Um, I, I believe that God is is preparing those, the kids in to meet the people that they need to meet. So I just had to share that about. I love that when I hear Kelsey talk and all three of these guests, I mean, this is a nonprofit business. So there's obviously tremendous business skill and organization skill to run this. Um, that's a lot of logistics, but there's heart here. All three of you talk so tenderheartedly about the youth. You said some wonderful words, Kelsey. I found my people. Describe that girl on your trip and connect with Christ through refugees. And and what a gift it is. I think my good wife was the leader in our family getting our kids. I think we sent a couple kids through HEFY, and what was named that, uh, Matt, um, to Peru and to Samoa, I think. My wife were here. She'd give me the full story. <laughs> But we've loved that experience in our family and just the chance to serve. Um, I don't know how to close this. I feel like we could go for another hour. Just is there anything else anybody would like to share? Oh, I I actually forgot to mention we have a brand new trip, a teach program. I'm going to try. Can I share that story really fast? Do we have time or no? We have time on the podcast. Okay. So So everyone kind of shared their story and I wanted to share mine really fast. Good. Oh, he's got one more story. Okay. Yeah, and you can cut this out. If- no, we're but, not um, going to. He, I, I was thinking about, because I was trying to decide. I'm like, I want to share the this refuge story, but I also wanted to share this um, this story about Japan. And um, Hannes talked about where he always wanted to serve his mission. And um, growing up, I always wanted to serve a mission because of the experience that my dad um, had served a mission in Japan. And I thought, you know, I would love to serve a mission in Japan, just like him. You know, I wanted to have all the experiences that he had shared his whole life. And I got called to Brazil. And I remember thinking like, okay, this is awesome. Japan, And I found out that Brazil has the highest Japanese population outside of, um, the highest Japanese population outside of Japan. And so I ended up, you know, serving in Brazil. And um, I ended up training the first Japanese sister missionary um, in South America. And I had this kind of crazy experience um, with, you know, Brazil and Japan. And just recently, one of our trip leaders, um, Adam Manwaring, referred us to this program or introduced us to a, a job, a BYU professor who actually started a school in Japan um, to help Japanese people um, improve their English because he realized a lot of the Japanese members, their English wasn't good enough to, to get into BYU. And so he started a school specifically to help those Japanese members get into BYU um, because the Japanese members, if they decide to serve missions in Japan, they can't really go to school in Japan because they don't allow you to just um, take off two years and go serve a mission. And so the only way for the Japanese members to actually serve a mission is they're going to have to go to, you know, try to go to school to BYU where they can take that time off to, um, to serve a mission. And so he started this program and somehow we got connected to it and we were able to just open up our first trip to Japan. And it's a different, it has a different purpose. Um, the purpose is really to help these Japanese improve their English so they can eventually like go on missions. And it was a really cool moment because for me, I mean, this is totally a personal story, but that, you know, like 
having always wanted to serve in Japan, um, now I'm working with a BYU professor who served in Sao Paulo, which is my mission. And now we're, pl- we're bringing teenagers to Japan, um, which is such a neat experience. And even the um, brother Watabi is his name, actually. Um, Mazakazu, Mazakazu Watabi. Um, and he was t- telling us how, well, actually we met, we met the students at that Japanese school and three of them were recent converts just within the last year and who have come to learn English and end up getting baptized. And we're really excited this year to bring um, teenagers to Japan because as, as we've been growing, we're kind of running out of developing countries to go to. And so we kind of think our next step is going to places where the church um, is still growing and maybe it's not a developing country, but places where we can continue to gather Israel. And I think Japan is kind of one example of that. And, and it's exciting to see how each person that does work at HXP has so many personal connections. And I feel like that everyone is there um, really with the mission of gathering as well and helping these youth um, be a part of it. So I had to share that really fast just because I had, I had a little similar story, but we're excited about our new teach program to Japan and we're, ex- we're excited to continue growing. And we have new programs that we're, we're coming out with every year that are not going to be just construction projects, but we're going to be you know, helping all, a lot of these youth that are feeling, you know, on the um, peripheral. We want to help them and um, find ways that we can continue bringing them to Christ. So, yeah, the organization's name is Humanitarian Experience. And so we believe the human experience is why we exist. And HXP is our nickname, but really all of these stories are about connection and about the human experience. I think Hannes even has a beautiful story that kind of is an example of that. Yeah, I have a story that I'd just like to share. I guess if there's any parent, mom, dad sitting there at home on the fence like, ah, oh, do I really want to send my kid on this trip? Um, this is just a way that I've seen Christ change the life of one builder um, in as little as 17 days. <clears throat> so there was this kid, we'll call him, we'll call him James because James is the lead singer of Metallica. Uh, so we'll call him James. And uh, James had like this long hair and took his guitar with him everywhere he went. And he just kind of like didn't really talk to anyone, even though the kids were so good at trying to involve him. He was kind of just like, nah, I'm just going to stick to myself. I'm really only here because like parents wanted me to be here or something like that. Right. And then on like day two or three, I noticed he was playing a song by Metallica on his guitar. And I walked over and I was like, I was like, okay, here's my chance to like connect with this kid. You know, I was like, oh, dude, you're playing nothing, nothing else matters by Metallica. And he's like, how do you know Metallica? I'm like, dude, Metallica is like one of my top five most listened to bands every single year on my like Spotify wrapped. I was like, I love Metallica. And he was like, dude, no way. They're my favorite band too. And so me and him just talked about Metallica for like a few hours and just, and I was like, can you play this song? Can you play this song? And he just was playing songs and we were just like having a jam sesh together. And from that moment on, he just decided like, okay, I'm going to try to actually interact with these kids. And a couple of days later, I spoke with him and he's like, you know, honest, I don't even know if I believe that God is real. And I was like, that's okay. I felt that way sometimes too. Um, but here's how I found out that he is real. Here's how I know that he is real. And I was like, I, you know, I think reading the scriptures, saying some prayers, you know, you might be able to, to come to an answer the same way I did. And he, and he started reading his scriptures. Every morning we start with, um, with, with group scripture study. And I noticed he started to read his scriptures. He started to actually cross his arms and bow his head when we said our prayers together. 
And, you know, he started to answer some questions when we would talk about gospel topics together. And then on the very, very last night, like Kelsey mentioned earlier, we have um, a pretty informal testimony meeting. But he stood up and he goes, you know, he goes up and he goes, you know, guys, when I came on this trip, I didn't really know God was real. He goes, but now because of you guys and how nice you were to me and how kind you were to me, he's like, I know God is real. And now I want to go on a mission too. And just it's it was just bizarre to me that within two weeks that this young man went from, I want nothing to do with God. I don't even know if he's real. I don't care about the church to, I now want to serve a mission for my heavenly father because I know that he loves me. And if, if he can do that, you know, for me, if he can do that for this kid, John, well, James, I think I called him. If he can do that for us, just imagine what he can do for you and your kids. You, if, when, when you come on these trips. I love that story so much. I think, I think that story and, and the story that Kelsey just told, I, I think all of this kind of encompasses what's, what's happening at, at Humanitarian Experience at HXP, which is, uh, somebody asked me last summer, does it feel like you're just standing in front of this orchestra and just conducting this incredible, you know, beautiful symphony of people all over the world? And, and, and I thought, yeah, kind of. And then all of a sudden I thought, no, you know what it feels like? <laughs> it feels like I'm standing in front of this incredible orchestra and I'm definitely waving my arms around. <laughs> but really, someone standing behind me who's like so much more brilliant and so much more capable of understanding the tiny needs of Hannes and the tiny needs of James and the tiny needs of Kelsey and her dad in Japan and how she's going to go to Brazil and now all these kids in Japan. And it, it's like he's orchestrating in this incredibly al- elegant algorithm, this beautiful symphony of love and connection. And we get to see it in a microcosm of HXP. And I, I think that's, that's really how what we love to to leave with you is when we say there will be miracles it's because we see god work in the lives of every single person that we get the honor of connecting with so thank you so much for having us well now i know more why i felt impressed to reach out to you (laughs) and um do a podcast we've never done before um and it makes sense to me. It's blessed me personally to hear your stories and to think of the young people's lives you're impacting for good. Um, these are some notes I wrote down, listeners, just as we were concluding. I honest when he talked about his baptism invitation, that is really true. I've given on my mission hundreds of baptism invitations, every one of those at a date. And you are the only person I've ever given a baptism invitation. I've given maybe a dozen since my mission that did not have a date. And that was pure personal revelation to you. And um, I'm just grateful that as the Spirit worked through me in an unusual situation and and um, everything Hannah shared just reminds me of that incredibly sacred experience. It's faith building and it's a credit to you, but you have appropriately given thanks to your mom. But Michelle, if you're listening... <laughs> You have raised an incredible son, and you've got a wonderful daughter, too. And your courage as a single mom losing your husband so many years ago and coming to America, getting off that plane, I think, in a January day, and um, 
and what your children have become is a, is a credit to you. And yeah, thanks personally from me, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a credit to all the brave parents that are doing the best they can. I love gathering of Israel that I think Kelsey used. I love that term and I love it in the context of our own members as well as people and other and this connection, I think in that last segment, Amy, you talked about love and connection. And I just think that this orchestra that I think Amy just talked about, I think if we get to the end of our mortal lives and get into the next world, we could understand the individual experiences we're having right now and all of these pieces of the puzzle that at times don't fit together. And you're wondering, well, wait a second, this is different than I thought. And how do all of this work? As you're talking about, Amy, in your personal stories, you get older and you start to see um, God's hand in the orchestra of our lives. So that's all I have to say, listeners. We'll list, link to HXP in the podcast. Grateful for the work this organization's doing and, um, and the personal ministry to bless people. I love this. You know, Johannes, I wrote down, you have natural ministering talents. <laughs> when that kid opened up to you, I don't even know if God exists. Instead of going through a checklist of the reasons God exists, you said, dude, that's okay. And I don't know. I think you even said, I've, I've been there at times. And I just think that's such an intuitive principle of connecting with people is to not go to our immediate sort of, you shouldn't feel that way, but to sit with somebody and the reality of how they feel. And then the trust that's built and your example, Metallica, I mean, that's probably an unusual thing for somebody. I don't know. I know the group exists, but I don't know anything about their music. You should listen to it. It's awesome. <laughs> I just love that that part of you that is something you love allowed you to connect with this kid. And, and that's a message for all of you that may wonder why I like this or maybe even liking Metallica isn't cool in your circle. And I use that just to create space for all of our gifts and attributes and interests to create this connection that Amy just talked about in this closing segment. So anyway, Amy, Kelsey, Hannes, thanks for joining us and thanks for HXP. And I'm just looking forward to all the good work you continue to do and all the lives you bless. And this is Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Thanks, Bob Osler. <laughs>